You're listening to The Sidebar by NYABJ, a show about the world of media through the lens of black media makers. I'm Tyler Clifford. In this episode, BronxNet reporter Arlene Mokoko sits down for a conversation with four journalists who are making an impact in the journalism world in non-traditional ways. Yes, the discussion is non-traditional journalism jobs. And so I guess the first thing is, you know, what is a non-traditional job in journalism? And, um, you know, Benita, we were talking about this just a few minutes ago. You know, when you think about the explosion and, and just the growth of the internet over the last couple of decades, you know, what has happened is uh, a lot of these companies have looked uh, for people that can provide content and they have uh, reached out to people in the field in journalism uh, to, to do that. And so we've seen um, not only what could be considered traditional jobs, but also um, you know, in traditional meaning working at maybe an O&O at, a, at an affiliate station at an NBC or ABC, we've seen a growth in other areas. Uh, just to name a few, uh, I think of Yahoo News, I think of Huffington Post, there are so many others, you know, I can't wait to speak to Cindy um, Adams, um, Sydney Adams, who is editorial lead at Snap Inc. So these are just um, some ways that um, have uh, some, some venues where people have been able to work. And so we're gonna now sort of kick off here and introduce everyone on the panel. And I guess I'll start with uh, Sydney Adams. Um, she is editorial lead at Snap Inc. So that is Sydney. And we also have Alicia Renee, and she is a travel show host. Um, the name of it is Get Away for a Day. Yes, I, I like that one. And I have also Christina Carrega. She's national criminal justice reporter with Capital B. And finally, um, Matali Nkonde, she is CEO for AI for the people. So why don't we start off with Sydney Adams and um, if you could talk about uh, a non-traditional job and maybe some, the things that you do over at Snap Inc. Sure, thanks so much for that introduction and hi everybody. Um, so yeah, as, as Arlene said, my title is editorial lead at Snap Inc. But more specifically, um, I oversee um, all of our content creation on our map product. So. What that means is that um, our map product is one of the only places where people can actually post publicly on Snapchat. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the communications on Snapchat are one-to-one -one and private communications. So there's two places on the app where people can post publicly and the map is one of those. So what happens is we get a lot of user-generated content related to all types of news events so that we take a pretty broad definition of news. Um, but that can be anything from like a really hard breaking news event or a protest. Um, we got some content out of this uh, subway shooting in New York this week. We got a lot of content out of Ukraine when that first started. Um, but then we also get things that are more everyday life, concerts and sporting events and, and things like that. So I oversee the team that looks at that user-generated content and curates it into stories um, and really gives it the context um, and make sure that everything that's within that story that you might click on and see on the map is within the context of what we want you to, you know, kind of how you should understand the story of what's going on around you. Um, so it's very untraditional in terms of a news job, but I have to use that editorial judgment all day, every day. And when I bring people onto my team, I'm training them the same way that I trained people when I was at CBS News on the social team. And that is to be able to fact check, be able to research, um, understanding, like just having that media literacy of understanding what's going on around you. Um, it takes a lot of being able to make those like real time editorial judgments, especially when you're using um, user generated content, because at the end of the Day, we have to kind of moderate and make sure that that content is in line with Snapchat's guidelines and user guidelines, but that it actually is in, it also in line with telling the truth of what's happening on the ground in that in that given moment. Um, so that's that's generally what my day to day looks like. Um, it's kind of I like to say it's like local news, but globally because we're covering the whole world. So um, it's a ton of fun and it's something I never would have thought was a journalism job. I love that. Uh, and I could agree. I think many people would agree with that. And it's just so um, interesting that people are, you know, they're going to Snapchat for a certain purpose, but now they're getting so much more um, along with that. And I think that's really fascinating. Really great. Thank you so much. And we also have Alicia Renee, uh, travel show host with Get Away for a Day. So I would ask the same question. Yeah. What is a non-traditional job and what, what, tell us what you do. <laughs> well, um, 
I host my own travel show, which is actually, I started out on Bronx Next, which is where you are. Yay. Now, yay. <laughs> and now it's on three stations. It's on Brick in Brooklyn and Manhattan Neighborhood Network. And I, I don't know how far I should mention this, but I actually started out in traditional, the newspaper. I worked in the sports department and I worked in sports for many years. So I had to do a lot of research, um, making sure I had stats correct. And I loved it. And so then I had an accident where I couldn't walk and do what I needed to do. And so a good friend of mine who actually is my consulting producer, Erica Wortham, hi, <laughs> he told me about taking courses at the local public access station. So I decided to do that. And I said, you know what, there are so many things that I do on a day-to-day basis that I get to by train and things that people don't know about in New York State because it's primarily New York State based. And so I just picked up the phone and I used my old school journalism, um, you know, background and I called people, set everything up, wrote down what I wanted to do. And I want to say the tourism boards in New York have been absolutely amazing. Um, The first one I did a farm fresh tour. And I went up and we interviewed the shop owners, the farms, and it's just so much rich history here in New York that people don't know about. And you can get to it by the Metro North, the Long Island Railroad, Renaissance Fairs, castles, everything. And you don't even need a car. And they want people to come out. And most of my trips, I would probably say, I spent less than 50 bucks getting there. And so my goal is to help people get away, even if it's just for a day, because when you live in New York, every day you get up, it's like a cycle. You get up, get on the train, you go to work, take the kids, come home, and you you do it every day, and you don't even realize you haven't taken a day off. So that's why I called my show Getaway for a Day with Alicia Renee. So you can just take one day to decompress. And even if you can't afford it, you can feel like mm-hmm. you're in another world just for one day. So show us about. What a great, a great idea, Alicia, especially now we talked about a little bit before the pandemic, people are now going to want to find places to go to away from the city that doesn't take them completely out of the game. They can get some fresh air and be able to commute back into the city. What a great, that's a great idea. Definitely. And excellent food, Hudson Valley and beyond the the wineries. These are things I'm from the the South and Mm -hmm. The premise of my show is I was only marketed a certain type of New York. Just they made it seem like the whole state was like the city. And so when I got here and saw so many different things, I said, I have to put this out here. And even for the people that are born and raised here, they're like, we have what here? Castles. So that's my goal. That is really awesome. And, and, and you, you sound just like a Bronx step person because that's kind of what we do in, in the Bronx, you know, just finding things that people may not know about, like the, the hip hop museum, like, you know, just so many different uh, galleries and everything that people just don't know about the little Italy section. So thank you. You explained a lot that I wanted to talk about and you took care of that. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome. <laughs> and now we're going to head over to Christina Carrega. She is National Criminal Justice Reporter with capital B. Christina, take it away. What is a non-traditional job? And tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's great to see all you ladies on this panel. And like Alicia, I came from traditional newsrooms. Um, I started off in newspapers, the New York Post Daily News and the Brooklyn and Queens Daily Eagles. And then I made the transition into broadcast where I worked at ABC News. And prior to Capital B formulating, I was at CNN. So I've gotten the history of journalism and the experience. And I went to undergrad for journalism. I did everything, in my opinion, the right way. And in those newsrooms, I learned so much from my editors. I learned how to fact check. You know, we have different ways of making sure the story goes out where nobody gets sued. And that has been different from newspapers to broadcast. And I've taken all of those skills and pretty much combined it to what it is at Capital B, which is a non-traditional newsroom in a many, many form sense, meaning you know, in the newsrooms I just mentioned, you walked in and you don't see a lot of us, right? And here 
everybody looks like me and understands what I'm talking about when I try to pitch a story where I'm combining politics, I'm combining race stories, I'm combining, you know, health equity stories into criminal justice, because criminal justice is a very broad umbrella, people don't realize it. And when you really look into being in the courtrooms, and you're seeing who the defendants are, who the judges, the prosecutors, the defense attorneys, the families of the victims, if there are any families. And those are all stories that need to be told. And I realized how, you know, the black community, the black and brown community, we really don't get those stories out there. And I learned that a long time ago working in the New York Post and trying to get those stories pitched was so difficult. And I found those difficulties in every newsroom I worked for. And I'm just like, I'm so sick of having to over explain us to all these different editors who don't get it and only few did get it. And even with the amount that you find that are a person of color, it's far in, in between. So once I got to Capital B and the title of National Criminal Justice, Justice Reporter was available and that's been something I've prided myself and called myself that over the years without it being an official title, um, I had to take the opportunity and take that leap um, from traditional newsrooms where if you're coming into broadcast, people look at the CNNs, the ABCs as like the top tier journalism um, organizations and folks may look like, why would she leave CNN to go to a startup? But to me, if you know my resume and you look at my body of work, it just makes sense. So for me, I feel like I'm glad that I'm at Capital B. I'm learning so much from my editors. We're a small team, but we're very robust. We have copy editors, which are non-existent in newsrooms these days. Um, you know, we have people who are fact checking our, our information. Our editors are incredible. And I couldn't be happier at this moment, the two months in at Capital B than I have been in the last, I'll say, five years, honestly. That's really amazing. And that's, you know, congratulations to you. If, if you could just add, um, you know, how do you feel um, the CNN and ABC kind of prepared you? Because I know this is kind of, like you said, your body of work. This is your area. Um, how has it prepared you um, at Capital B? Um, broadcast news is so different, as we can tell from newspapers, like at the Daily News and the New York Post that, yes, they're top 10 papers of the country, but they didn't have those checks and balances like broadcast news has, where they have a standards department, they have legal checking out things. And at CNN, they had three different layers of checks and balances before the story actually hit the website and being at those national publications, it taught me how to make a story local, national. So when you hear like an editor telling you, oh, that story's too local, I don't even know what that means. Cause any story that's happening in wh whether it's Sunset Park, Brooklyn, as we saw the other day became a national story. So if we all thought that way, more stories that are happening in the local communities can become national stories. If we just look at things in different areas and pull out those nuanced um, conversations within those topics and make everything a national story. So I learned that there. That's awesome. Really, really great. And I hope everyone gets to meet Christina. We met last year, I think it was two years ago at uh, an NYABJ event. I'm just so friendly. Thank you so much for sharing this. This is great. And we have Matali Nkonde. She's CEO of AI for the People. Thank you for being with us, Natalie. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Matali. Yeah, talk about what you do and talk about non-traditional journalism. Yeah, so much like uh, Christine, I was a broadcast journalist, actually worked at BBC and CNN and ABC. So Christina, I was in those rooms too, girl. <laughs> and I know what you saw and what you, what you didn't see. Um, and transitioned into tech around 2008. Um, and it was through the Obama campaign. Uh, they had a social team, Twitter was in beta and they asked if people could use it and nobody could use it. And the white people said they could and I knew they were lying. So I was like, shoot, I can use it too. And that was really the beginning of um, a, a career in um, much like um, Sydney's career in tech companies, there are editorial teams because many of these platform companies are telling stories. So um, worked uh, with Google for about, I'd say eight years, almost eight years. And in that time, we're, we're looking for ways to include black people in their programming, specifically coding. 
and realized at that time that the technology itself expresses race. And it was through an incident where an engineer had put the search term uh, black teenagers into uh, what was a newly launched product at the time, Google images and pictures of mugshots came up and that completely changed my career, ended up going into research for a couple of years. So worked for different research institutes, um, became a fellow at Harvard, did more research, went to Stanford and then published um, a report called Advancing Racial Literacy in Tech that was read in the foundation world. And they came to me and said, people do not understand um, how AI and advanced technologies work, number one, or number two, how they could be racist. Do you want to start an organization? And I didn't even really know what nonprofits were, started an organization. And what we decided to do is that we were gonna use television, film and journalism to add this technical analysis to so to some of the stuff that Christina was saying about criminal justice we've just worked, for example, um, with the NAACP uh, up in North New England Northern England is in the UK New England on um, a law that looks at police use of facial recognition. Facial recognition is being used in arrests. They're arresting black people without um, real evidence of the wrong people. And then between the two organizations really were able to advocate for less than police use. So that's kind of on the policy front. On the journalism front, um, we work with the Kathy Hughes School of Journalism at Howard to go in and train students around how to look at social media, spot missing disinformation. So we might be um, looking at Twitter is really where I have a lot of expertise going onto that site, scraping off the tweets and then being able to show them to people around disinformation campaigns. And then the other thing that we do is storytelling. So um, I am a broadcast journalist. So we both produce films and documentaries. We won a New York Emmy last year for a news report that we did again around, thank you, because CNN, we're not gonna give it to me. Sometimes we have to get it, get it for ourselves, people, yeah. just saying. And I did email all of those haters at CNN without Emmys after I got mine. And- um, Congratulations to you. Big listen, congratulations. Yeah. Listen, these people don't have Emmys. That's all I'm saying. Wow. Sorry for the world. So, um, and then we're, we're able to use those to have much deeper conversations. And then the last thing I'll say is we do advisory work. So I'm on the TikTok content advisory board, much like um, Sydney's teams, most tech companies have them and they will bring in experts. And, you know, my role there is very simple, make sure that black creators are credited for their work. That's kind of how you can, <laughs> what I've been doing there for the last couple of years, and then work with Twitter because it's a really hostile space for black women. And I have to use my editorial uh, judgment every day because I'm constructing these stories to help various different publics understand the impact that technology is having on black lives. Well, I was actually going to ask you about that. That's what you're saying. Everything you're saying is amazing. Um, if you saw maybe one uh, platform that was problematic for you, I mean, um, just everything that you shared from the, the teenagers, um, it, it's, it's such a, a problematic situation for so many people. So is there one that you really identify as, as more of a challenge than others? I think they have different challenges. Um, honestly, Sydney is the only black um, editorial lead that I've seen across. Um, though those jobs are actually more common than we'd think. We don't tend to get them. Um, and so I'd be really, I don't know Snap as well as a platform, but knowing that a black woman is curating it <laughs> makes me feel really good, for example. Um, but you know twitter twitter is an issue because of their inability to move moderation policies that make weaponization of um black female identity a really big issue and people pretending to be black people pretending to be black women and create creating mischief i would say for TikTok, trying to tie the creator to the content is a real problem um over there and um, what people don't realize is 
people are making news and breaking news on these platforms all the time and they're never they've never been a journalist they do not have that education they do not have editorial standards and it could not be true um and so i would say that that's pretty bad i ran away from facebook after cambridge analytica to be honest so i i can't really tell you what's happening on that platform and i would refuse to go into the metaverse as a result because I've been able to look at a lot of that research and it is going to be an unsafe space for black people unless they engineer in protections and there is nothing to say that they will. Wow. Well, Mutali, thank you so much. Amazing um, information here. And I guess, you know, we'll, we'll go, come back to, to Sydney who probably has some, some more um, information. You know, Sydney working at Snap Inc. or any uh, social media company, it's a dream job, you know, especially now. Um, it's the place to be, Google, all of these places. So can you give us a behind the scenes look at what your day-to-day -day looks like? And maybe if you want to add in, you know, maybe what's been happening recently, obviously with the, the, the whole subway situation, whatever you want to put in there. Yeah, if you can talk about that, um, that would be great. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. And I also just want to address a little bit about what we were just talking about. I think um, it's it's been very interesting for me to be on this side of the industry after spending, you know, seven and a half years at a traditional news space at CBS News. Um, and my most recent role was overseeing social. So now to be on the side of a social platform, um, I had to really consider what kind of job I was looking for in terms of a dream job. Like, I don't know if I would have considered working for a social company as a dream job, um, especially places like Facebook and places like Twitter. I just didn't see myself there. Um, coming from a journalism space, knowing what things like Facebook have, how those have impacted our industry, um, I just didn't see myself working for a company like that. Um, but when the Snap job kind of fell into my lap, honestly, through a networking situation, um, I had to do a lot of research, honestly, and really like be really real with myself about what kind of social company I, I was wanting to work for and what kinds of values I wanted to see, what kinds of questions I was going to ask in the interview process about how they protected users from misinformation and disinformation, how they protect creators of color. Um, it's really inspiring to see, actually, there's a woman on my team who oversees like a new incubator that launched like right when I started, I started in December, um, that is specifically for bringing on creators of color, Black creators, to um, make sure that they are getting the resources that they need and that their work is being credited back to them. So it's interesting to be on this side and to see how Snapchat is addressing those things that um, we were just talking about. But in terms of my day to day, um, yeah. it is, um, it's interesting because it, it can be different. Um, mm -hmm. When you think about what kind of news is gonna make it to the SNAP map, um, it's not everything. If Biden's signing a bill that day, like that's not likely to be on Snapchat, yeah. um, at least on the map. Um, yeah. But what is likely to be there is, um, you know, a protest or, um, you know, if there's like a wildfire, any sort of big weather event. So I kind of start my day the same way I started it when I was at CBS News. I would wake up and do a read-in and see like what's happening today. What are the news stories I could see potentially making it to the map and people posting about? Because it's totally organic. Um, right now we don't work with like news partners or anything like that to publish specifically onto the map. We do work with news partners for other parts of the app, but not for what I'm working on. So it's really what could I see an average user picking up their phone and posting about on, on Snapchat. Um, and then there's breaking news moments like um, the, the shooting in, in New York the other day. Um, and my first instinct there is always A, double check what's happening. It's Snapchat is not a place where people are coming to you for breaking news, right? Like we're not CBS News, we're not Twitter. People are not coming to Snapchat to say, oh my gosh, I have to know exactly what happened right now. I'd like for our team to be able to get to a place where we're more responsive like that, where people can go to find out what's happening around them. Um, but you know, we we have the luxury of being able to take a little our time to make sure that something is is accurate and true. The main thing that's important to me in a situation like that is people are, will start posting on social media pretty instantly of what they think they know. So we saw some snaps that said three people shot. We saw some snaps that said ten people shot. And at that point, nobody, no news outlet had confirmed anything. So then it's my job at that point to say we're not going to include those snaps. We're going to wait until we have some more confirmed information before we make a story on this. So my first instinct is A, how can I confirm it? And B, um, making the call of like when it's okay to go ahead and make that make that story and make sure we have as, as much context as possible. If we have one snap and it's not clear what's going on, it's a little confusing, it's a little chaotic, 
as a as a user, that's confusing, but also as a platform, it's our responsibility mm-hmm. to make sure that any content that's being published like that is is contextualized and has has um, more information to it. So that's that's what my um, initial instinct is in those kinds of moments. But then there's also a lot of, you know, we have a system that kind of can alert us to when it thinks something might be going on. A lot of people are posting from this one location. Um, so a lot of it is also going and looking for, looking at that system as well and saying, hmm, what is, what's going on there? Is that newsworthy? Is that important? Does that have value to our user? Um, and then making the call from there. So it's, it's, it's literally making editorial decisions all day, every day that really just come from experience. And I have like a master document where I kind of am building out different scenarios. And if this happens, do this. If this happens, consider this. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll just constantly be changing because it's really uh-huh. important. Um, I don't take the responsibility lightly of like working mm-hmm. at a social platform of how important it is to make sure that the information is as accurate as it can be, especially with a young user base. Right. Um, so I, I think because of my experience managing social media pages for a news organization, kind of perfectly set me up for a role like this where we're really trying to be as responsible as possible with the really like p- power that we have to help um, inform a generation. You know, it's, it's a very, it's a very, um, it's a big responsibility. So that's, that's it the most important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is a big responsibility. And, and you know, Metali just makes a really great point. And you're new, you're, you're basically uh, new on that. And I just, you know, was wondering if you know they might have hired you because of your your background because the you know the argument I don't want to you know uh, miss what she's been saying that you know the argument is that content is getting out there but there might not be some journalistic standards and so people are seeing information but there's no one there to kind of guide them in terms of what what they're really seeing you know in terms yeah. of all of that and you're you're saying that you provide that and that's really great. Yeah, and to answer your question, they did hire me because of my background. They were specifically looking for someone with a journalist um, back or, or similar type of background that could help them make those editorial guidelines and decisions. That's awesome. That's really great. And um, and we're going to head on over to Alicia now. Um, you know, just wanted to talk about starting your own show. How difficult was that? How do you, what advice would you give to people that are wanting to do something like that? Well, I think you need to make sure you know exactly who your target audience is, number one. You have you can't be for everyone. And if you try to be for everyone, you'll be all over the place. You also have to understand that it's not just about picking up a camera and shooting and putting something online. Because I decided to do a, a show, and when you submit the show to a station, they have standards. And so you have to, I look at it as, as a story, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And everything I always wanted to do, um, I remember the cartoons that used to come on when I was a child. Well, the shows that used to come on immediately after, they had that E slash I, educational and informational. And I decided that everything I do, I want to be able to educate and entertain. And so when, with my journalism background, everything from working for the newspaper, then I worked for the U.S. Open, I worked for ESPN2. I I was even a model for a while, and all of those things set me up for this show, because you have to learn how to produce. The pre-production is the most important stage, and also I want to thank um, Harry Ramkishan. He, when I took classes with him at BronxNet, he impressed upon us that is the most important stage because that will set up your whole production. It even matters how you conduct yourself when you make a phone call, how you format an email. You can't just DM people and say, hey, I want to come by. No, these are businesses that you have to let them know exactly what you're doing. If someone is going to let you into their door and give you access to certain things, and even if they give you something for free, like I started doing B&Bs and, you know, hotels, you have to let people know what they're going to get in return. You have to let them know what you're going to show. Um, when you interview someone, they want to know what you're going to say. Even down to learning how to edit. Mm-hmm. Listen, there were times I understand, you know, public access, you're basically funding yourself mm-hmm. until you can get to a point where you can get sponsors to help you pay for things. Um, But you have to be able to pick up the slack. People will start out with you and then you're sitting there with all of this footage and it's not like you went to a street fair. 
No, you were invited to the Museum of the Moving Image. You were invited into a ski lodge where they took care of everything. You have to produce the product. So it's up to you to either get the money or learn how to do it yourself. And I will admit, I had a full-time job when I started this. And there were many nights where I cried because I didn't know how to set up the sound. I didn't know how to sync sound. I didn't know how to do anything. And I cried, but I sat up every night and I got it done. And so if you want to, you have to, because you don't, you don't, this is a small industry if you decide to do New York state travel and I didn't want my name to be mud. So you have to learn how to do things yourself, learn how to delegate, learn when to say, I can't do everything myself. And when you get ready to set up the show, make sure you stay true to, because I'm the host, yeah. I had to make sure that I stayed true to myself because I started out trying to be, you know, hi, hi. But I, I've always been that person that was kind of a little, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided to be me. I love to put on a costume. I love to put on a nice cape and, you know, go to the wineries. I don't even drink wine, but I love being yeah. at wineries. And so everything I decided to do, I, I wanted to build out a brand. And it was especially important um, after the pandemic because I, you know, I listened to the other ladies and I'm so fascinated by everything that they do. And I thought, oh my God, is what I'm doing fluff? Is it not helpful? And then I started talking to my friends in the medical field. And one of them who I love dearly, she was like, Alicia, you don't understand. People need this because when people get sick, when they get tired, recovery is a very important part of the process and they need fresh air. They need to get out and just relax. And she was one of the ones during the pandemic because she was here in New York and dealt with and saw so much. She would call me and say, Hey, where can I go today? I just need, tell me where I can go, where I can relax, see something beautiful. And so I decided after then, everything I do going forward is going to be something that makes people feel a certain way and my target audience I made sure it was for it's a tight audience it's basically kind of for, for generation xers because no one talks about us it's you hear boomers millennials Z's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the tail end of a generation xer because I wasn't old enough to really you know be down with that crew but no one talks about us and a good swath of that um, generation they had children later and a lot of them are taking care of kids and parents at the same time. They're working. They don't have the time. So I want to be able to say, they come to me and say, Alicia, what can I do? Where do you want to go? How do you want to feel? Do you want to feel fancy? Do you want to go hiking? And that's my goal. It's, it's not just about, oh, I'm going here and I'm going to take a snap. People want to know how much it costs, right. how, how long it takes to get there. Um, even let's be honest, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, is it safe to go there? And so when I go to these places and they, my friends look at me, they'll go, oh, you've been there. Okay. Then I'm going to go. That's pretty much, how, I mean, it's sad to say, yeah. but it's, oh, and, and even people with children, can I take my child there? Can I take my son, my daughter? People need to know, you know what, this place, you shouldn't bring your child here. It may not be appropriate. This is for couples. This is for this. And it's so much to it just to get everything set up. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, you have to go back and get B-roll. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. Yeah, but I love it, though. I, do. I think, you know, it's so great uh, hearing this because you, you really found a market and you're really building that market. And so they're building that trust in you because they know that this is what they're going to get out of you. So they know that if you recommend this, this is a place that they can go. Really amazing. Yeah, and I decided to focus on lifestyle shows because it's like, where are the lifestyle shows? So I actually, after my travel show, I have a new wine show coming up. Um, And I started off in the Finger Lakes. Um, It's going to be called Corp with Kasana Francis. And it's, we're actually going to pair wine with Afro-Caribbean and African-American food. So I'm really excited about that. And it's just, I want people to feel happy again. And we need that right now. Alicia, thank you so much. And uh, really great information. We're going to move over to Christina again, which I'm just wanting to hear about what your day-to-day is like. You know, you know, if you can share, you know, how would Capital B handle, you know, what's been happening in the news this week, for example, mm-hmm. if you can share with us what it's like there in your 
I don't want to say neck of the woods. That's Al Roker. I don't want to take his, his line away, but you know what I mean, over where you are. Yeah. So first I want to just piggyback off Alicia's. If you need some co-host or a guest host, <laughs> I am all about that wine. Awesome. No, it sounds awesome. really, really cool. Yeah. Um, but yes, so Capital B is a remote um, company where everybody is all over the country, right? So there are things we have a centered, um, our first um, newsroom is based out of Atlanta. So we have a staff of people there focusing on the things going on in Atlanta, which is very important. Now, what happened the other day on the subway, or even when Amira Locke, um, there was no indictment for the officer who killed Amira Locke. What Capital B prides themselves on is that we take a step back and we look at breaking news and say, okay, what areas are the mainstream outlets lacking that can talk to our communities? So with the Amir Locke case, I talked to Black gun owners to get their reaction to when the incident happened and then when there was no indictment handed down, just to see how it is as a Black person who is a legal gun owner and see how that affects them. So we step into breaking stories, but we put a swing on it where it's our voices and stuff that our community would care about. The same thing we have one of my colleagues, Mark. Margot Snipe, she talked about menthol cigarettes and the ban on that and that affects on the community. You know, when, as I told her at the time, I was like, people still smoke cigarettes, but we don't realize how many people in our community are still going to the corner stores and getting a Lucy and it's menthol cigarettes are going to be banned. And how will that affect our communities? We do these topics every single day. Um, today, we wrapped up a Black Maternal Health um, Forum for two and a half hours. We talked to medical professionals and people in that field just discussing how Black maternal health is something that has not been talked about in the mainstream outlets. And I believe it was such a fruitful conversation that Capital B is the only audience that I could say or newsroom that can actually give that kind of viewpoint to the audience at hand. So yeah, every day we're looking at every situation differently. There was the shooting out in Michigan of a Black man. He may have been, um, there may have been like a language barrier issue because he's from the Congo um, and the officer, um, and him, they struggled for the taser and the officer ended up shooting him in the back of the head. It's such a tragedy. And we'll be looking at that to see how we can actually take a step back and say, what does our community need to know about this particular situation? So I'm proud to be a part of a company that actually wow. is intentional with um, the news. And it's also to what um, Sydney said, where um, in her organization, they're just not jumping on the moment of being the first. It's mm -hmm. about being accurate. And I think that that's something that a lot of newsrooms are failing at. Um, mm -hmm. Even today, the story about the um, subway shooter, you know, you had some outlets saying that the police arrested him. They made a break in the story and then you later find out the guy called in and was like hey I'm waiting for you and it's like well tell the right story okay <laughs> and I think that's something especially in the misinformation age that we're in right now we need to be more intentional about where we work what we do who we're talking to especially in our stories for interviews and what stories we should be jumping in on and at what time we're going to be doing it you make such a, a great point, and I'm glad that you you brought that up. Uh, yeah, there's there's so much news around, and so many different stories. And you're pointing out that yeah, there is there is one story, and having a journalist can really make that difference. You know, in in, in picking that out, and obviously you're you're on top of that in terms of you know how how did he call the guy? That's how, that's how they got him, and that's that's shocking. You know that 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 would be missed. So um, really incredible, really incredible work. And I want to swing over to Mateli and talk about um, young journalists. Uh, how would you, what kind of information uh, would you give to them, to someone who's interested in doing what you do? One of the things that I would say is definitely follow your curiosity. I think for me, I've always worked in science news, always worked in science journalism. I didn't think that it would lead to working for a tech company um, necessarily. But if I hadn't have followed my curiosity, then I wouldn't have seen, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to um, be, be, meet the moment, really. You know, being one of the few people in the country in many ways that really understood what AI was going to do for the economy. And be, then also being someone who was like, well, this is, what it's going to do for black communities this is what it's going to do for for women and providing an intersectional analysis um, around that the second thing that i would do is um 
tell young journalists to learn how to run businesses. Mm -hmm. So the call that I had, I had three three business calls together today because I lead my company. One was for the syndication of a podcast that we are that that we were coming at coming out against. The other was an editorial meeting where um, we want to tell a first person story of somebody who was um, arrested using facial recognition. So going in with the journalists that are working on that story and then speaking to lawyers because we're going to name and shame some companies. We don't want to get sued. Then the other thing um, I would say just in terms of business is um, business development. So one of the things uh, our business structure is nonprofit and most people think that nonprofits don't make money. That's not the truth. You can make a bunch of money, but um, bringing in clients. So we're now starting to do more Hollywood facing work and negotiating with studios around our, um, you know, around the value we're going to bring isn't something that's typically taught to students or journalists. They don't think that they're going to be generating um, their their own revenues. Um, so that that's those are mainly the things. If you are somebody who's serious of telling your own stories, mm-hmm. and like me, who who doesn't want a boss, I got to a point where I was like, these bosses are for the for the for the birds. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to learn how to feed myself. Yeah. Well, it's incredible what you're doing, and um, I guess you know with the whole facial recognition thing that you mentioned that I'm pulling out of what you said. Um, do you know, can you give us some background in terms of like any municipality or is it states that are using this or yeah? Yeah, so um, like I said, we just worked with the state of Massachusetts, their police forces were using that and we are looking for a ban um, apart from state police. Mm-hmm. Um, Mayor Eric Adams is really excited about facial recognitions, shot spotter. The minute the story came out, um, which was really badly handled, I was like, who? The people in that press team hate this man because he's always saying the craziest things, like he's broccoli or like he caught somebody. And I'm like, who, who is your communications people? And why do they hate you so? But the first thing that he came out and said was, we're gonna have metal, metal detectors on subways. I have the technology. And the truth of it is that's a privacy issue. That's a civil rights issue. You're actually not gonna have any of those things. You will be fought to the death. Don't do it. Um, and then following George Floyd, Microsoft, Amazon, and IBM came out and said that they weren't going to sell facial recognition to police forces. But it's really not just the big companies. Mm-hmm. If we're using Ring Doorbell, for example, Ring Doorbell, which is an Amazon product, has um, contracts with 1,300 police forces across the country where they give them um, the pictures that your doorbell takes and then use that in police investigations, even though they're not supposed to use it to establish probable cause. But don't get me started um, on that. I could literally go for days. Thank you so much. Such amazing information by all of you. And, uh, you know, the discussion tonight is traditional, non-traditional journalism jobs. And uh, we're just getting so much uh, from each of you. And I wanted to come back to uh, Sydney about, um, just wanted to find out what recommendation would you give to, you know, young journalists uh, coming out in terms of preparation for what you do? Sure. So, um, I mean, I think for me, it's it's really what has guided my career is being open-minded to what could potentially come my way. Um, like I said earlier, I never would have imagined that a job like this existed for my skill set. Um, and I think that uh, the piece of advice that I have um, is actually something that someone gave to me when I was starting to interview for this role. I was really nervous about being able to talk about how my skills as a journalist Uh, could transfer over into more of the tech space. And she said, she had made a similar transition from journalism to tech. And she said, um, as journalists, we are trained to seek out the experts when we don't understand something. Mm -hmm. And if you are gonna go into a job like this, when there's something you don't know, you'll seek out the person that has the right answer. We're trained to literally figure out what the truth is and how to convey that to other people. Um, So it's an incredibly transferable skill that I think is just important for people to remember um, if they want to make a similar pivot. Um, And also just that there are so many different ways to execute the mission of journalism, I'll say. I went to school 
for journalism. It's what I wanted to do since I was 10 years old. I can't ever remember wanting to do anything else. So the decision to leave a traditional space was really, really hard for me to come to. Mm -hmm. So I could feel myself ready for whatever that next, next step was. And so just circling back to what I said at the beginning, being really open and having an open mind to what that, um, how you can, you know, act on that mission in a different type of job um, is the most important thing because there's, as we've seen with all the amazing panelists here, there's a lot of really great ways to, to use your talent and your skill of storytelling. Thank you, thank you so much. Sydney, we've got a lot of questions coming through and I might need, I may need the assistance of Bonita right now because the chat isn't quite opening up. So I don't see, I see a little bit of the question, but I don't see the whole thing. And these are some really, really good questions. Well, um, the first one says, um, let me get to it. Okay, so hello everyone. My question is, I didn't study journalism in school, but I've always been passionate about writing and sharing people's stories, especially by bio um, biographical profiles. Hmm. I would love to take some virtual courses to strengthen my journalism skills and hopefully build my portfolio. What courses would you recommend as being essential for someone on a tight budget? I'd love to look into this, but didn't know where to start. Looking for courses that would give me a solid foundation to pursue work in print journalism some, someday, even if it's just the blog to start. I'm interested um, in print journalism, and that's from AS. Okay. Yeah, can anyone, anyone want to provide some background on that? Um, well, print journalism, um, I, guess, I guess it depends on what type, first you need to decide which type of journalism you want to go into. Do you want to do news, um, crime, sports, lifestyle? You need to decide which kind you want to go into. And if possible, community colleges are a great resource. Um, even check out people who have newsletters. And I know you said you want to do print you know, journalism, but one thing I can say, the public access stations, I had no idea that it was so, it's a plethora of information there. And there are people who will help you. There are courses you can take and they're not expensive at all. Um, maybe try to look, seek an internship. Now I do know some of them are specifically for college students, but maybe volunteer uh, because print journalism, um, like the big newspapers start, start locally. Even, I don't know where you're located, but you know, there's still AM New York is out there. And, you know, everything is at your fingertip. Even Wiki will show you how to get started, believe it or not. So. <laughs> and, and I wanted to add, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, uh, Lehman College also has a multilingual journalism program. And a lot of those students have gone on to places like the New York Times, the Daily News. Um, some of them have started out in print and the emphasis is print, uh, but they've gone on just to, to uh, television as well. And, and have become reporters. So yeah, the community college, um, you know, if you're on a budget, that kind of thing can, you know, go a long way. Um, I'd like to jump in on that real quick because today I learned about an organization called Report for America. It kind of has the same moniker like Teach for America. They've been around since 2018 and they have a class of journalists who they train um, how to become journalists. And I'm, I'm learning about it now because I've just become a mentor for that organization. So I would recommend you looking into that program to see if you could sign up because they are training journalists to be in newsrooms across the country and not just small fry newspapers. They have kids who are working for the Cincinnati Inquirer. They're Pulitzer Prize winning organization. Um, so I will look into that company and seeing if you can sign up to see how you could become a part of the next class of students that are coming through there. Christina, thank you. Thanks. Um, is there a great, is there another question, Bonita? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm going to answer, I'm going to help with that first question too. Coursera, it, it's online, it's free, um, and it's spelled course, and I'll put E-R-A basically. Um, so I'll put that in the chat. That's 100% free classes are online. Um, question, another question is for Alicia. Not sure whether you're talking about a second job or can I make a full-time income as a podcaster? Someone wants to know. Okay, I'll be honest here. I do have a job and I've always had a job because I'm going the quote-unquote old school route. If you have the resources and the help, and I'm going to be honest, people don't tell the truth. A lot of people who are influencers, the ones who do make a lot of money, a lot of them do have help. 
Um, they may have someone who can help pay the bills, somewhere to stay. If you can swing that, then great. But in terms of someone like myself, I had to have a job to supplement, you know, what I'm doing. And I don't regret it at all. And I'm happy. But if that's what you want to do to get to the podcast, it does not help the creative process to be stressed out when you're trying to create. So for me, I'm very blessed now to be at a job that's very supportive of what I do. They, they even want to help me with the job. So in that case, try to look for employment that may be on board with what you're trying to do. And you may be able to combine them together. And you have to be realistic because um, it takes a lot to be uh, an influencer with thousands of followers. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able, you have to post every day. You have to just be on there all the time. And that's just not my truth. Mm -hmm. And so it's taking me longer, but I know that I'm doing things that I want to do and I get to control it. And so to build my audience, again, I have to go a different route. And the good thing is a lot of the businesses that I do shows one work for, they'll post and then their people will see what I do and then go to my page. So try to find something. Um, if you have to have a second job while you build your podcast, work with people who can help you build your brand, um, stay true to what you want to do so that you won't end up having different branches and you don't have a cohesive plan to get to where you want to go. I hope that helps. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so the next question is, well, there's a couple of questions I'm going to put into one. Basically, everyone wants to know how to build your audience and what to do if you don't plan on working in traditional journalism, but you want to get some, um, some skills within the journalism field. I would love to hear from Christina on that one if she's able to, you know, because I love the stories that they pick. There's so many stories happening nationally, but they, it looks like they're picking them for specific reasons. So, yeah. Um, so Capital B is two months old. As we all know, it's hard to like get that momentum going to figure out what does our audience actually want to read. But what Capital B does differently is in our flagship um, city in Atlanta, we have people on the ground asking everyday people, what do you want to hear from in the news? How do, how do you get your news? So we are asking the people, what do they want? And that's pretty much how we're driving our traffic to seeing what we want to report on. But in the national scale, where I'm the national criminal justice reporter, you know, I'm just taking things out that I feel like, hey, if I had pitched this at my other newsrooms, they'd have said no. And, <laughs> and, they get, and so I get a yes at where I'm at now. So that's, I've been following my instincts on that one, really. Um, I, I can add slightly for that, because I know for um, AI for the people, we were really interested in owning thought leadership in the space of race and tech. So we used report writing and um, the report that we wrote ended up um, being picked up by the MacArthur Foundation. And then through their networks, we got to present at the UN. I got to go to the European Parliament which then got me press, which meant that when I wanted to go and get funding, that then I already had this, I wasn't popularly, like my thing is, I don't need everybody to know me. I want the right people to know me. And I want to say, I want, if you can afford to give me a million dollars to help black people and pay me the way I feel that I should be living in, in this lifetime, then I want to know you. And it was those types of, uh, people who had um, high net worth people and foundations who really wanted to see this intervention. And that's how we initially started to raise money. And because I'd come from the tech industry, I was only ever going to work for a similar salary than the one that I'd had before. And then we have continued to use a combination of um, thought leadership as well as um, awarding. So we Whenever we do editorial work, we're always looking, where can this travel to? Who can this get, who can get in front of this? And then the other thing um, that we did is that we used money to make money. So uh, one of the things about Capital B, it, um, AI for the People is funded by Craig Newmark Philanthropies, as is Capital B. And it's really easy to then go into a funder and say, Ford Foundation, MacArthur Foundation, whomever, Craig Newmark is giving me money and then create a business case to, to be given money as well. 
interesting. Really good. Good information. Wow. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, Yeah, we're getting to that last question. Um, And I think this is one that everyone can take. What's some advice that you give to your younger self um, about journalism, switching from journalism to tech? What would that be? Alicia, want to take it first and we can go around in circle? Sure. Um, I think I would give, tell my younger self to not be afraid to be exactly who you are. (laughs) For so long, I I thought I had to be a certain way because um, truthfully speaking, people would say, oh, well, that's weird. People who look like you don't do that. And there aren't people that look like you that want to dress up and do all these things. And it's funny now, I even see people who I went to school with, you know, everyone wanted to be the same. Now everyone wants to be different. Now everyone is striving to be odd or weird or whatever. And I wish I would, would have known that back then that it was okay to be me. Because now, even my friends, if they know we're going to do something, they'll do a little bit because they know I'm going to do a lot. And it brings a smile to people's faces. And so I would tell my younger self that in terms of journalism, there is space for everybody. And there, whatever you don't see being done, do that. That's awesome. That's really great. What about, let's go down the line here. What about uh, Sydney? Um, I feel like I gave away my, my best advice answer already um, in my last, my last couple of <laughs> but um, I think a, another one is um, kind of piggybacking off what Alicia just said is like kind of leaning into what makes you different to have a really mm-hmm. unique perspective because I think all of us have talked about feeling like we're the only one in the room um, walking into newsrooms where you don't see a lot of people that look like you um, and I feel like being able to lean into the fact that I have the perspective that I have is really really important and I was I when I first started, I thought it was a bad thing. You know, I I wanted to blend in. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be able to um, not seem like I was standing out. Um, But as I got older and as I kind of became more confident in my career, I realized that it was actually a huge asset. Um, And in a lot of other ways too, you know, I I live in New York City. I've worked in traditional newsrooms where most people are from, you know, the Northeast, a tri-state area, went to certain types of schools. And I went to a state school in the South. So leaning into all of those things that make you different and have a different perspective and can help shape how a story is told and how we seek the truth, I think is really, really important. Great great answer, great advice, really good. Christina? Um, My younger self, I still think I'm young to be honest with you guys, but (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, um, I have been telling myself more and more in my point of life that I'm at right now to be more intentional in every aspect of my life. And that includes where you're going to work. You know, we can chase the money, we can chase the dollars, you could be swayed by these recruiters who slide in your DM. That's how CNN got me. Um, So I mean, just being more intentional about where you want your career path to be. And that's why being at Capital B for me is so important for my own mental health as well as my career trajectory, because I'm, I believe in criminal justice in such a way that even talking to my colleagues who are also criminal justice reporters, they don't look like me, but we all understand each other when it comes to this particular focus within journalism. And I was grateful to learn how much I wanted to do criminal justice reporting early in my career. It was well over 15 years ago, I learned that. And I'm glad that I stuck with it and found my niche in a way that every little step I've done, including when I did take a step out of journalism before, and I worked in a press office for the Brooklyn district attorney, um, Ken Thompson, may he rest in peace. That also contributed to where I'm at right now, getting that other side of the coin in journalism, but within criminal justice all at the same time. So yes, things may not make sense to you at this moment, but at the end, you'll see this is all worth it. And I feel like just being intentional really is the overall message I would have gave myself. Really incredible. Do we have time for Mitali? <laughs> I'll just say very quickly, I would tell my younger self, um, don't be scared. You'll be fine. Really incredible 
advice that is so needed. Um, I don't, I'm sure Bonita would agree. Uh, I just love all of your responses, kind of checking in with yourself and remembering why you're there, just celebrating your, uh, your, you know, the fact that you are different, that uh, you were hired for a purpose and, uh, and not to be fearful of that, you know, really incredible. I think that's uh, some good information. So it is eight o'clock and um, this is for an hour. And uh, again, the information here, incredibly valuable. I just wanna thank each of you. Um, Christina Carrega, Allison, uh, Alicia, Renee, Sydney Adams and Matali Conde, thank you so much for sharing your jobs and what you do and just really encouraging so many of the um, the, the folks that, uh, that came in and uh, that came online. So we just thank them also. Thank you guys for tuning in and thank you, Bonita. Thanks for having us. Nice seeing everybody. Thank you. Thank you guys. Bye. Take care. <laughs>The Sidebar is a production of the Greater New York Chapter of the National Association of Black Journalists. The opinions heard in this episode belong to the individuals who expressed them and not to NYABJ. Our podcast team includes Carolyn Adams, Ife Collimore, Cage Taylor-Jones, Will Patterson, and Benita Sastre. The music in our show theme is by Halizna Raps. And I'm Tyler Clifford. Subscribe now to join us for more conversations and industry insights straight from the source.